Hey guys, Hall of Fame and Super Bowl champion quarterback Brett Favre here. Just wanted to thank you for tuning in to Connor's show. Just another football podcast. Please don't forget to leave five-star reviews and subscribe to the show. All right, thanks for tuning in to Just Another Football Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Miles. With me now is Mark Schofield of the NFL Wire returning to the show. Mark, what a crazy draft weekend we just had. Connor, it's great to be back with you. And I I will also say it was great to get some sleep Sunday night because, (laughs) man, between Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, I I, I haven't really slept too much until last night. So it actually feel human for the first time in a long time which feels good no but i will say i mean from most of us who sit at home and watch the draft anyways it, it i wouldn't i mean a lot of people are saying it was a great experience but i wouldn't even say it changed that much because we're still watching from our tvs but getting the getting the up close look at these guys in the same positions that we are at their home with their family around them more and instead of the green room kind of look i kind of liked it more because it seemed like there was a more relaxed environment instead of being ambushed with a million cameras in your face in a green room and at a place that this is the first time you might be even visiting. So I actually enjoyed the layout this year. I, I unfortunate because of the pandemic, but I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I did too. I think it was more natural for a lot of these players. They're, you know, in a more familiar environment. They feel more like themselves. Um, I, obviously there were some amusing moments uh, Mike Vrabel's house, Bill Belichick's mm-hmm. dog, um, you know, but I, I actually really enjoyed this draft experience. I think for a lot of coaches, general managers, front office personnel, I think they enjoyed it. You know, Brian Flores and others were out with comments saying that it was nice to be around the family. It was nice to make, you know, the, your loved ones a part of the experience rather than, you know, being holed up at the facility with the rest of the front office and the coaching staff. And so, in a sense, I hope the league, not that they don't have to necessarily move to a full virtual draft like we did this time, but it would be nice, you know, in the next draft to see more of this, to see more of the sort of people just being everyday humans and not robotic football coaches or, you know, highly tuned, highly coached uh, prospects in a rather sterile environment. It was nice to see these people be a little bit of themselves right it gave us all a human being personality to the whole entire experience that we never got to see before and i think that's why i enjoyed it the most but let's just get right into talking the draft who are your winners and losers of the 2020 draft i'm curious to know yeah i mean i I think when you look at sort of overall teams that i think help themselves uh, i do think that the dallas cowboys had a very good draft Obviously, anytime you have CeeDee Lamb, you know, a receiver of that caliber fall to you at 17, you can almost say just up and go home, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, anything you do from there on out is going to be just icing on the cake. But then whatever you want to say about Trayvon Diggs, I mean, if you use him right, if you let him be a press corner, if you let him do that kind of stuff rather than forcing him to be something he's not, I think that's a very good pick at that point in the draft. 
I think Gallimore is a nice piece that they got, you know, where they did in the third round, who obviously has some potential. And even if you scroll down through the rest of their draft, Tyler Badass, he's had the injury problems at Wisconsin, but I think he's a tremendous center prospect. Reggie Robinson, a lot of people looked at him as somebody that would contribute right away on special teams, had a number of blocked kicks during his time at Tulsa, and he has the potential to be a good cornerback in this league, Bradley and Nay. You know, you might worry about the change of direction, ability, or lack thereof, but I think he could contribute off the edge. So I like what Dallas did. I like the vision from Denver mm-hmm. to sort of just say, look, we're going to go all in on helping Drew Locke. And if he can't get it done next year with Corbin Sutton, with Jerry Judy, with KJ Hamler, with Noah Fan, even if Albert O, if they get something from him as sort of a tight end two option, then they'll know, look, this isn't going to be the guy. Then you look at some of their later picks on days two and three. I tell what a game, I really liked the defensive tackle from Arkansas. I thought he had a very explosive first step. I think he could be a great sort of interior penetrator from a three technique. I like Natana Muti, the guard from Fresno State. He had some injury problems, but you know he's, he was PFF's number one interior offensive lineman. For me, he was number three um, behind Jonah Jackson and Cesar Ruiz. I, I think getting him in the sixth round was fantastic. Those are two drafts I really liked. And then I think you have to look at, there, there's a couple of other teams. I like what Miami did. Mm-hmm. I think their smokescreen, I know we're going to talk about Tua a little bit later, so it won't focus on him too much, but I think their misinformation campaign, they had everybody, myself included, convinced that they were going in a different direction with the quarterback spot or with that fifth pick, maybe tackle, maybe trade it up for a tackle, maybe Justin Herbert. They stay there and they draft Tua, and you look at what the, they're building on the offensive line. Robert Hunt in the second round, feisty guy that played both guard and tackle. I don't know about Austin Jackson at 18, that would feel like a bit of a reach in a sense because there were other tackles that people had. But still, you know, if you look at him on 2018 film, he was much better. You know, maybe the, the bone marrow transfer um, with his sister, you know, last year's offseason maybe really did sort of have a toll on him. And look, I like Noah I. I'm going to call him Noah I, mm-hmm. the corner from Auburn. Um, because if you look at what Brian Flores learned from Bill Belichick, having the ability to play the matchup game on the defensive side of the ball with your cornerbacks is something that Bill Belichick loves to do, loves to do with his corners, right? And so now you have Xavier Howard, you have Byron Jones, and now you have Noah. You have three great athletes in cover corners where you could mix and match them. Maybe one week you're really worried about the slot guy. That, that maybe you take, say, a Byron Jones and you put him in the slot. Maybe the next week you're worried about the boundary guys. You move Jones and Howard outside. Now you have Noah slotted into the slot. And it gives them that flexibility to play matchups. Maybe one week you're really worried about the number one guy. So you take, say, Noah, you put him on the other team's number one, and then you get dedicated safety help over the top. So you double cover the number one, and then you take away numbers two and three with the highest paid cornerback tandem in the league. That's how Bill Belichick loved to play matchups at times. He would take Stephon Gilmore and put him on a number two, put him on a, a tight end like Zach Ertz. You probably saw that this year. Mm-hmm. And you could play those matchups. And so I, I'm sure that's what Brian Flores is trying to build towards. So those were some of the teams that I really liked. So uh, obviously Cowboys crushed it. I, I can't believe they they had such a great draft the way they had it. Uh, no complaints on my end. The only thing that I would start to like wanted to paint the theory of is you add up, you load up on wide receiver because Michael Gallup is a very good wide receiver that not many people are really recognized yet. Amari Cooper, you can get out of that contract after 2021 if you have to, but still, I mean, given the success that they have with him and, and Dak, you don't even expect that at any point in time right now. 
you draft C.D. Lamb, and you have a, and then you hire a head coach who comes from a background where he loads up on wide receivers as is in Green Bay and shies away from the run. Am I crazy for thinking that Ezekiel Elliott might not be in the future plans? I know obviously he'll be there this season, but I mean, if you're loading up on this much pass-catching talent and you hire a coach like Mike McCarthy, I know Kellen Moore is going to continue calling the plays, but to me, he's really just the passing game coordinator in a sense, and Mike McCarthy's everything else. Do you start to think, hey, maybe they're drifting more towards our passing team? Because if anything, last year I thought... Dak Prescott improved the most from the pocket, being a pure pocket passer in terms of Kellen Moore's system. So I'm starting to think, like, okay, now they didn't expect C.D. Lamb to get there, obviously, but you made the decision to load up on wide receiver. That's what your head coach was known for doing in Green Bay. You're, it looks to me like Dallas's aspirations are to become a passing team. You know, Connor, I, I think there is something to that. At first, it's sort of like a more, say, global point. One of the things I love about the draft sort of from a conceptual standpoint is it gives us a window into how front offices view themselves, view their organization, both in the short term and the long term. And I know we're going to talk about two teams in that sense, Green Bay and Philadelphia. So I won't dive deeper into that. I'll save that conversation for a few minutes from now. But I do think you're right in that they're looking at their roster as it was currently constructed going into the season. They're looking at you know, the dollars that they've obviously allocated for an Ezekiel Elliott, the dollars that they just allocated for both Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott, or at least for Prescott's case, what they expect to. And so they're thinking, look, we are going to be a passing team. And so you look at some of the acquisitions they made, they seem to be going all in. And maybe some of this was influenced in a sense by having a player of this caliber fall to them in the first round. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they did have this plan going in. But you also look at what the acquisitions of, of Lamb will do for Dak Prescott in addition to what he already had in Amari Cooper, because one of the knocks that many had on Prescott, myself included, when he was coming out of Mississippi State, was the precision ball placement. You know, he could be generally accurate, but there are times when he was coming out of Mississippi State when the placement wasn't perfect, you know, throws mm-hmm. to the wrong hip in the short game and things like that. Now you have a guy at Amari Cooper who gets such consistent separation. And you can look at the numbers. Once they acquired Cooper, Prescott's numbers got so much better almost overnight. Because now he had a guy that was getting consistent separation where if you throw it to the wrong shoulder or the wrong hip, it's not going to matter. Because he's got the separation, the space to make that catch. Now with C.D. Lamb, one of his highest traits the catch radius, the ability mm-hmm. to make any throw near him a catchable ball and get to passes that other receivers can't get to. So if you're Dak Prescott, uh, this is going to be a good situation for you because now you have two receivers that help you. And oh, by the way, like you pointed out, Michael Gallup is a very good receiver as well. So this is a fantastic 11 personnel package. You can just imagine the ways McCarthy and Moore are going to scheme things up for these three receivers. It's almost an ideal pass in offense. Now, what that does for Ezekiel Elliott, well, a couple of things. Maybe he's not in their long-term plans. But in the short-term plans, if you're a defensive coordinator and you're going to go up against this offense, you're thinking you might have to run more cover, too. You might have to keep those safeties deep. You can't afford to drop a safety down in the box because of those three receivers. And that's going to make the boxes they run against lighter, and that's going to make the job easier for Ezekiel Elliott. So there's this huge butterfly effect of this lamb pick that will it will have – on the rest of this Cowboys offense. I agree with you about the Broncos point you also made as well. I think 
LA, you look at his situation, they have not been able to find the quarterback since Manning. They were quick on pulling the trigger uh, with Paxton Lynch after even using a first-round pick on him. You have to even think that the, the leash is already short as is. They need Locke to show them something. They got him the offensive coordinator in Shermer. They got him the speed, the separation in Judy and Hamler. You really are right. They also even went out and brought in Melvin Gordon, which I don't think they would normally do given their affection for Philip Lindsay, but you're right. They have to load up on this offense and see what they have in the quarterback. So I, I do like what Denver did this uh, draft. And I wasn't that high on KJ Hamler, but if you put him in a situation with Cortland Sutton and uh, Jerry Judy, then how can you not like him? So, uh, again, they killed the draft. And I'll discuss more into Miami when we discuss Tua in a little bit. But So I just finished up an article on the Packers for Fansided and – I looked into the comments that Matt LaFleur made about keeping Aaron Rodgers for around for as long as he can. It, people compare this situation of drafting Jordan Love as to getting Aaron Rodgers when you had Brett Favre, but to me, from somebody who remembered that perfectly, that's incorrect to do so, in my opinion. Brett Favre never stopped talking about retirement at his end-of-the-year press conferences. He always mentioned the word retirement repeatedly. He kept the Green Bay's organization on their toes Every single offseason, Aaron Rodgers fell to them without them even expecting him to be there. They had to take the best player on the board at the time of the 2005 NFL Draft. Especially when you are already worrying about Brett Favre's future. Now, Aaron Rodgers has come out and said he is playing indefinitely into his 40s. He's following the same path as Tom Brady and Drew Brees has. He's never ever hinted at retirement they were one game away from the Super Bowl last year I thought he played well given the fact that they started complimenting the run game to their passing attack more under Matt LaFleur they I mean Devin Funches is not enough Marquise uh Van Stanley the speed guy is decent but I mean a wide receiver three at best uh the other guy I'm thinking of 13 uh, Lazard uh Alan Lazard I I mean yeah I, I don't this makes no sense to me, Mark. I Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. I don't. People are looking at this as saying, "Well, I mean, three years they go ahead with with love." But I mean, in my opinion, I didn't see a, that much of a drop off from Aaron Rodgers to the point where I'm thinking about the future of the Green Bay organization. Am I wild? Am I crazy? No, you're not. And you know, obviously. When a team with a quarterback the caliber of Aaron Rodgers drafts a quarterback and not only just drafts a quarterback in the first round, trades up to get a quarterback in the first round, mm-hmm. it, it's going to start the clock on the takes. And they've started immediately. You know, I, I was on a live show with Matt Waldman and Sigmund Bloom when that pick was made. And before the next pick was made, we had pretty much just moved Aaron Rodgers to New England. I mean, that's how fast the, the ball got rolling there. You know, when I said earlier that the draft gives you a window into how a front office, how a coaching staff feels about their organization, I had the Green Bay Packers in mind because obviously, like everybody else, I've given you know this decision a lot of thought over the past couple of nights. And part of me, and Michael Kister actually brought this up when we were doing our, our show over the weekend, you almost get the feeling that the Green Bay staff and front office looked at their season last year, and like you pointed out, they were a game removed from the Super Bowl. And think that despite that fact, they overachieved last year. 
And if you look back, they finished 13 and three. They, they get a first round by, they win the NFC North. But of those 13 wins, you know, three of them came against the playoff team. They swept Minnesota and they went in on a Sunday night and they beat Kansas City at Kansas City with Matt Moore as Kansas City starting quarterback. That's it. The rest of their wins came against non-playoff teams. And their three losses, a Thursday night at home against, you know, Philadelphia. It's, you know, home teams do have an advantage on those short weeks. They get a loss to Carolina. On, I mean, not Carolina, to the Chargers on the road. And then a loss at France, San Francisco coming off a bye where they get blown out 37-8. to eight. And then they go in the playoffs. They have a divisional round game at home against Seattle. Who had to go cross-country the week prior to play in a wild-card game against the Philadelphia team. And then they have to come back and play another road game. So they win that game. They go to San Francisco and they lose. I mean, so you start to think that maybe there's something to this idea that this front office feels like they overachieved. And while everybody else is thinking, look, just go get another weapon for Aaron Rodgers, their vision is we have to sort of think about the fact that maybe we're not that good with how we're currently constructed. We have to think for how we can get better, faster, and also prepare ourselves for a post-Rogers world. Because you look at their first three picks in this draft. You take Jordan Love, we'll put him aside for a second. In the second round, they draft A.J. Dillon, a bruising runner between the tackles, had a bit more lawn speed that he showed at the combine than I think many were expecting on film. They add him to a crowded running back row. They've got Aaron Jones. They've got Jamal Williams. But both of those guys... They just have one more year on their deals. So you're adding a guy in the second round that maybe is a part of a committee rotation in year one, but might be your feature back in year two. Then you draft Josiah Degara, uh, H-back type tight end from Cincinnati, a guy that he wants to be the next Kyle Juszczyk. That's how I, I comped him to Kyle Juszczyk when I wrote him up. And then Matt LaFleur is saying that's the role they want to use for him. And this is a team that last year did run 21 personnel a quarter of their offensive snaps. So... Now you add the Jordan Love pick into this, and it does look like this is a window to they want to be a ball-controlled running team over the next couple of years with and or without Aaron Aaron Rodgers, which sounds insane, but if you look at it from the point where they think they sort of overachieved last year, maybe there's a method to this madness. And we'll know in a couple of years, you know, whether they're right or not, whether that was the approach they're taking, but I think that's kind of a glass-half-full way of looking at it. That is very good points that I did not think of. So it's hard to argue that because that is the truth. Maybe they do feel that way. But, I mean, that defense was legit. The yeah, offense I needed mean, more pieces. So, I mean, yes, I can understand this, this next year. I can understand this next year and the year before if you do this. Fine. This year when, I mean, because, I mean, Drew Brees, you, here's why. Because you and I already talked about Jordan Love on last time we were on the show and we both said good things about him. And I thought New Orleans was the perfect opportunity for him. And they even passed, knowing that Drew Brees isn't going to be there next year. Now, they obviously signed James Winston since then, so there is some sort of vision there. Maybe they think Winston's a better reclamation project than drafting Jordan Love at 24 is. But, I mean, look, Matt LaFleur, great coach for him to go to. That's a coach that focuses on quarterback mechanics, and that's exactly what Jordan Love needs is a coach that would focus on his mechanics and fine-tune those. So I'm not knocking them for taking the taking the quarterback. I'm knocking them for taking the quarterback when they took the quarterback and what year they did when Aaron Rodgers has given you no indication of his play slowing down anytime soon. And you have to take into effect, Aaron Rodgers is way more arrogant than Brett Favre. And Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers right. handled this poorly. They can say what they want to the media because, like I said, I just dissected his quotes about 
Aaron's going to be here for a long time. But the long time in NFL years is about two to three seasons. So, Rodgers, I mean, you got to think. I know the media is saying all the right things about how Rodgers is handling this right now, but he hasn't tweeted. He hasn't made any comments personally from himself about this draft class so far. He, he went on the radio days before the draft and said it would be nice to see them to take a skilled playmaker in the first round since they, they never do that. I mean, this this divorce is going to have to come sooner rather than later, and especially when you give in Aaron Rodgers' arrogance and the way he conducts himself, and he knows he wants to play in the 40s, and now we're living in an NFL where Phil Rivers doesn't play his whole entire career with the Chargers, Tom Brady doesn't play his whole entire career, with uh, the Patriots, Joe Montana left the 49ers. It, it's going to end soon. It has to. And I, it obviously won't be in 2020, but now we're always going to be looking for that in years to come. And for a team that was one game out of a Super Bowl that I would argue just needed way more offensive weapons and upgrade the linebacking corps in the inside, it, which I feel like they did with Christian Kirksey if he's healthy. It, I don't know, man. I thought, I mean... You look at the board at the time, I understand Ayuk and Rieger and Jefferson went before where they picked, but I, I don't know, man. I would have traded down and just try to add more skill makers, uh, skill playmakers to yeah, their... No, I mean, I, I would have done that too. I mean, you're looking at who was on the board when they were available to pick. That T. Higgins, you had Denzel Mims. I think either of those guys would have been able to help you get closer to where they wanted to be in the year ahead. It is confusing to me. I don't understand it. I wouldn't have done it. But, you know, they're trying to build a team that will contend for years to come, not just the season ahead. I guess that's the way they're looking at it. And to the point which you raised about Rodgers, which is an extremely appropriate and important point, there are two ways that sort of the, the – veteran quarterback mentor and the young rookie thing can go there's the alex smith route where when patrick mahomes comes in smith looks at the situation and realizes that look you know this guy could be special i'm gonna do everything i can to take him under my wing i'm gonna you know bring him in for film sessions when i'm watching film i'm gonna work out with him i'm gonna you know really go out of my way to make him a better quarterback or there's sort of the joe flacco route, which is like I'm not doing a darn thing to help this guy. It's not my job to get him ready. That's the coach's staff's job. And which do you think Aaron Rodgers, which category will he fall into, given what we know about this guy? Because I don't think he's fallen into that Alex Smith route of, you know, picking up Jordan Love from the airport and, you know, picking him up each morning to work out and get coffee and watch film. I certainly don't see that happening. And I think if the front office in Green Bay – expects that to happen then they don't know their player and you know that's one of your jobs we'll get into this a little bit more when we talk about the eagles but that's one of your jobs as a front office to know the players you have in the locker room and what they will and will not do and he's not going yeah like you said he's not going to i mean not only that he got that treatment when he came into the nfl and you have to put jordan love on this crazy pedestal because aaron Rodgers knows he's one of the best to ever play He's, I don't know. It's it's a rough situation. I, I, I don't like the outcome for Green Bay. It, best case scenario, obviously, Jordan Love becomes your long-term franchise quarterback and you move on from Aaron Rodgers at some point in the next two to three years. But I don't know. It, it's, it's just really tough for me to swallow because from a football fan standpoint and watching Aaron Rodgers play, it's it's 
because now we're going to have to imagine him not in Green Bay. But right. let's move on to the Eagles going going ahead and drafting Jalen Hurts in the second round. Uh, look, I know once his durability concerns, people want to nitpick and say he's only missed like eight games out of his 64 starts. But when I will admit, when he's needed the most, can you really rely on him to be healthy? Because we saw the playoff game concussion, which I feel like would happen to any quarterback if you get spearheaded by Javidian Clowney in the head. But the ACLs, even in college, he's been through this in college as well, where he got hurt and his backup had to come in and win for him while he was out. So if there's any quarterback that can handle this, I believe it is Carson Wentz. But it's a tough message that the Eagles sent the whole entire organization and Wentz that how they felt about his durability to go use a premium draft pick on his backup quarterback spot. Yeah. It, it, this one's confusing as well. Um, and in trying to sort of work through it over the past couple of days, I think, you know, the following two things can be true. You know, Jalen Hurts was worthy of a second round pick in a vacuum. I think that's a fair assessment given the body of work, the film, what he can do for locker room, the leadership role that he can take on, you know, and all that stuff matters to the quarterback position. So in a vacuum, he's a second round pick. But for Philadelphia and what they do schematically, it's not the best fit for him. You know, when you look at their playbook, the West Coast offense, what it's predicated on, the ball coming out quickly at the quarterback's hands, getting it to receivers on time, in rhythm, in space, so they can generate yardage after the catch. That's the main sort of core thesis behind the West Coast offense. And now, yes, like any other offenses in today's National Football League, the Eagles playbook has elements of Coriel, that vertical stuff downfield, shots and things like that. So it's not just a pure West Coast system, but it is predominantly a West Coast offense. Jalen Hurts has some traits as a quarterback that don't translate well to that system. First and foremost, his decision-making is a bit slower. He's a see-it-throw-it type of guy. Last year, he had an average time on snap-to-throw of 3.08 seconds, which would have been dead last, 32nd in the NFL. Dead last. Only thing close to that was Kirk Cousins of 3.01. And part of that is because their offense was utilizing so many boot concepts off of outside zone looks that take a little bit of time to develop. For Hertz, you know, it, part of it was scramble throw stuff, but part of it is also that slow process and see it throw it thing. So there's one thing to keep in mind. The other thing is his mechanics. And I've often said, look, mechanics don't matter until they matter. But with Hertz, you do have this long drawback and release in the throw in motion. Now, he did a very good job of cleaning that up before the combine, even during the senior bowl. But we've seen this before with guys like Tim Tebow or, or Blake Bortles, where, yeah, they spend so much time refining the mechanics in the offseason, and they come to training camp or OTAs, and the release is crisp, and the windup isn't there anymore. But the second they get into an actual game, muscle memory takes over, and that comes back. And now while Hertz looks great right now, I'm not convinced that his first live action, he's not going to revert to the muscle memory part of his brain where that loop comes back. And so you put that together, it's a tough fit in a West Coast system. Now, look, Jalen Hurts is a tremendous leader, okay? And he's going to have to be because the second this pick was made, you turn on, you know, WIP, you go on Twitter, you go to Bleeding Green Radio, wherever. There was angst, and there were some already to sort of write 
the epitaph on the Carson Wentz era in Philadelphia. This is going to be a thing. And the only way it gets worse is if the guy that you drafted can't sort of handle that. Now, maybe this is in a, a situation where they sort of fell for Hurts, the person, just as much as Hurts, the quarterback. And they realize that, look, if we're going to draft this guy, he's going to have to be tough enough to handle what's coming his way. Because this is going to be a situation that could spiral out of control. And so maybe they got that part of the evaluation right. And, you know, they very may well have. But it's the scheme fit where I have the greatest amount of pause because I mocked him the night before round two. I mocked him at 45 to Tampa Bay. I thought downfield offense, vertical passing game, slower developing concepts, chance to learn behind Tom Brady. Arians perhaps gets his quarterback of the future, a guy that he knows isn't going to do stupid things with a football like Jameis Winston. There you go. I thought that would have been perfect. So it's not like I don't think Jalen Hurts is a good quarterback. I had him at 45, not 53. I just don't know about this scheme fit. So I had him going to the Titans because, I mean, we're not we're not saying anything bad about Jalen Hurts because, again, if you've tuned into our previous episode, we actually spoke highly of Jalen Hurts, but what Mark yeah. is saying is obviously true. There's mechanical issues. Now, I can somewhat trust the Eagles with the mechanical issues because my biggest knocks on Wentz coming out was locking onto one read, which Hurts does as well. I want to say his footwork was never that set when he would make downfield throws. He'd always just scramble out and then just launch it without his feet being set. And I do see that with Hurts a lot. His feet never get that set. But like you said, I mean, the the anchor in his, his throw, I mean, that's not, I don't think it's going to be fixable either. And then the that's just the, the timing of making his decision, that's not going to work. Because I even yeah. did a whole film review on Jameis Winston last year and why. Bruce Arians felt the need to go ahead and sign Tom Brady, and he was at 2.8, and most of that led to his turnovers. So it'll be interesting to see what the Eagles can do, especially with given the fact that Press Taylor has more say on the offense now, and uh, they brought Morning Morning Wigan, who they think can muster up some kind of Lamar Jackson stuff, even though they kicked Morning Morning Wig out and put Greg Roman in to do that stuff that actually was successful. I don't know. I, I mean, to me, it's just saying, look, we wanted to get the best backup we thought we could get at the cheapest rate we could possibly afford for like a four-year contract. And then, I mean, it's pretty taking him at fifty-three. I think just screams what you feel about once his durability. Unfortunately, right. that's what yeah. it, it, that that's that's the organization saying they're not confident that once could be always healthy when they need him to be. Yeah, I mean that that is sort of an indication of. Like I said, with the the Packers, how they sort of feel about their organization right now, particularly, you know, the the starting quarterback that, let's face it, has some injury concerns, particularly because of the style of play that he has. He's a guy that you you go back to his junior year at NDSU. I remember watching his national championship game against Illinois State that year, and he's putting his body on the line. I I was doing a, a film piece on Wentz with Matt Waldman, you know, that summer before his senior year. He had one of those plays where he was in the open field and tried to run a defender over, and it looked great and all that. And we're like, this is fantastic. Don't ever do it again because you will not survive in the National Football League if you keep doing this. And here we are. And mm-hmm. so he's not going to change. And so, again, like we were just saying about Hurts, they know who Carson Wentz is, and so they had to sort of address the back of the position. It's questionable in the sense that, you know, you do have Nate Sudfeld on the roster. You know, and given the tenders that they've given him over the years – you would think that maybe they have some faith in that 
he's going to be a guy that could potentially be your backup. Now, I know that there were corners of draft Twitter, myself included, that likes Kyle Loletta. You know, he's also on the roster. But getting Jalen Hurts at 53 tells you the, about how they probably feel about those two guys as well. And, and finally, you look at roster construction just on the whole. You know, maybe they didn't think that he was going to be there on the clock in the third round. And, and that's fine. And maybe they didn't want to expend what it might cost to get up earlier into the back of the second round from that pick in the third round because then you'd miss out on another player to pass on Hurts at 53. But sort of to play the game of hypotheticals, which is always fun, like they could have gone in a much different direction. They could have gone, you know, if you wanted to address a linebacker, you could have gone, say, a Logan Wilson at 53. And then guys like, you know, a Fromm or a Morgan or whomever, they could have been your third-round pick. Because in the third-round pick, you draft Davon Taylor, very athletic guy, but very raw. I mean, there were times on film where he looked a little bit lost, mm-hmm. you know, and a guy that plays a, you know, one and a half high school games and then goes to the Juco route is going to be a developmental type. So in a sense, you've drafted two developmental guys in the second and third round. You wonder about the wisdom behind that as well. Right. But let's move on to the Dolphins. So to me, I, I felt like the Dolphins had to create such this thick smokescreen because of Stephen Ross's 2019 affection with Tua. I mean, it was well known then how much Ross was all in on Tua. The tank for Tua was branded by the Miami Dolphins, first and foremost. So, they obviously that smoke scheme was great because you, you have the medicals in the way, you have the pandemic in the way. So, they played those to their advantage of landing Tua at five. I thought it was the right move. I think Miami needs a franchise guy who could put the team on his back and be that leader that the organization needs out of their quarterback position. Because let's face it, they've been quarterback stars since Dan Marino left. But some people think they should have took Justin Herbert, and I disagree. But I wanted to get your thoughts on that. And why do you think the Dolphins did the right thing, saying medicals be damned? Let's go get Tua and risk it all on him and see what happens. I think so. I think so for a number of reasons. And one, I do think we have to sort of credit the Dolphins for how they handled this because I'll tell you down at the Senior Bowl, you know, in Mobile, I was told by people in and around that organization that, look, you know, they're worried about the medicals. They're worried about that hip. They're worried about both the short-term and the long-term implications of this injury. And I, like everybody else, started to believe in some of these smoke signals that they were sending. You get the pre-draft buzz of they might go tackle at five. They might go Herbert at five. They might trade up and get a tackle and worry about quarterback later in the draft. You know, they really had everybody sort of convinced that they were doing anything but sitting at five and taking Justin Herbert. But that's what they did. And so credit to them for sticking to their plan and just drafting Tua Tagovailoa. I think he's a fantastic fit for what they're going to be building offensively. I think they also understand that, you know, if he's not ready right away, they have Ryan Fitzpatrick in place so they can sort of roll with Ryan Fitzpatrick. If it is a scenario where because of this pandemic, we get an extremely abbreviated training camp, a truncated preseason process, and he's not ready, again, they can roll with Ryan Fitzpatrick. But they're building a franchise, both free agency and in the draft, not just as two pick where they're going to be a good team around the quarterback position, which means that whenever Tua is ready, he will be in a position to be successful, like we talked about with Drew Locke. And if it's a situation where it doesn't work, 
they will know immediately or very quickly thereafter, and they can decide how to address the quarterback position going forward. And so I think they made the right move. I think it's the right pick. You know, I, I said it on as many shows as I could. Look, you know, all things equal, I'm still taking Tua. I think he's the better quarterback. Unless you are convinced that he will never play, I think he's the pick, and they did the right thing. Right, I completely agree. I mean, I if you, t- I mean, uh, Joe Burrow's last season was insane college football standards, so you have to marvel at that. But if you take away two his medicals, man, that's the cleanest quarterback prospect in my opinion. And Miami got their guy, so I applaud them for that. Uh, like you said earlier in their draft, I didn't quite understand taking Noah in the first. But you can put Byron Jones in the slot. He's proven that before, that he can play well there. You can, I believe you can put Xavier Howard in the slot as well. Question Noah a little bit, but he's a rookie, obviously. Uh, I thought he was, a, I was really high on him. He was quarterback five on my board. I, I really like his outside ability and press. Uh, it's really interesting to see how they plan out. But I mean, again, like you said, this mismatches are just, I love what Brian Flores is doing over there in Miami. I think they're going to be a contender under him eventually, especially if two of his medicals pan out. But Patriots stuck to your guy, Jared Stidham. You came on the show before and you, you told all our viewers, hey, Jared Stidham, expect him to be the guy. Anything can happen, but they're really sold on him. And they go into this draft and they give him a huge vote of confidence. So what's your take? Do you still think he's going to be New England starter in 2020? Look, I think if you look at how they handled this draft, you know, when I was on with you before the draft, it was look how they handled the free agency period, right? Mm-hmm. They don't go out and get Cam Newton. They don't go out and get Jameis Winston. They don't trade for Andy Dalton. But I, you know, put in the caveat that they don't have a ton of cap space. So it's not like they could really go out and do that financially. But as of right now, it looks like they're setting up to roll with Jerry Sinem. The draft is obviously different. You know, the, the way the cap works, the CBA works. You can draft a quarterback early enough and get them in under the cap because of the way that the money is allocated. And so rather than sitting there at 23 and taking Jordan Love, they trade it up. You know, rather than at where they picked at 37, Jalen Hurts is still on the board. Jake Fromm is still on the board. Jacob Eason is still on the board. They drafted Division II safety, you know? And you just go on through the rest of their draft process. They had opportunities to take guys like Eason, like Fromm, and others. James Morgan, a guy they had been linked to. Ben DiNucci, the... James Madison kid, they had been linked to him. They didn't. They didn't take a quarterback. They signed two undrafted free agents, Smith, the kid from Vatech, and then Lewerke, the Michigan State kid. But I don't think they're banking on a UDFA to come in and win the job. And so, again, I think everything that they've done to this point tells us that it's Jared Stidham's sort of job to lose. Now, I'm telling you this at 1.54 p.m. on Monday, April 27th. At 4 p.m., like, that's sort of a deadline for comp picks and things like that when you sign free agents. And so things could change. You know, we could get a Joe Tooney trade. We could get some sort of wild move. But, you know, with that caveat again in place, I don't see it happening. I think their plan is going to be Jared Stidham, this is your job to win. Go out and win it and then take point twenty to show us what you can do. I mean, they you look at sort of the the picks that they made, similar in a sense to the picks that the Packers made. You know, in a, in a draft class that was so deep at wide receiver, where everybody was saying, look, you know, Patriots could potentially double dip a wide receiver. What do they do? They double dip a tight end, which is what people like myself were asking them to do last year in last year's class. You know, they mm-hmm. add, you know, some 
edge off-ball linebacker types. You change Jennings. They draft, like I said, the Division II safety Kyle Duggar off of Lenore Ryan, who is an extremely athletic guy, but will need some development. You know, they're, again, building a team that's going to win some knockdown, drag them, rock fights of football games. And it is reminiscent of the early Brady run back in the 2003, 4, 5 season before he started throwing it 55 times a game. He was throwing it 17, 18, 19, 28 times a game. They were a team that was winning with defense and a ball control passing game. It seems like they're trying to rerun that playbook just with Jared Stidham this time. I love Kyle Duggar going to Bill Belichick. I think that's going to be... I, I was really high on yeah. him coming out of the draft, to be honest with you. The single high coverage is nice. Uh, the run recognition playing in the box is something that I would lo- I'd love to see it from a box safety. I, I really like him getting paired with Belichick. So after we talked, I did go back and watch Jared Stidham more at Auburn because that's really the all-22 the all you can really get your hands on of him lately. And I came to the conclusion that Bill Belichick won games with Matt Castle. He won games with Jimmy Garoppolo. He won games with Jacoby Brissett. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt with Jared Stidham, especially with Josh McDaniels being the offensive coordinator still there. So I do think, and I'm going to write about it eventually, because I do think we need to start giving Belichick and what he's proven over time the benefit of the doubt, going ahead and giving Jared Stidham the, the, the nod of confidence and stop pairing him with all these Cam Newtons of the world or uh, any Daltons and all that stuff because – I don't see if they were going to get rid of Joe Tooney, it would have been during the draft of anything, in my opinion, because right. you're not going to get a comp pick or anything from trading him now, despite when uh, the the four o'clock comes. So it looks like they're going to roll with the best offensive line they can put in front of Jared Stidham. Like you said, the hard nosed defense they replaced a lot of their guys that they lost. I love Kyler Duggar for them, and a free James off off the ball linebacker. Uh, I could see him doing faring a lot better in a Kyle Van Noy type role. Yeah, I, I'm i going to give him the benefit of the doubt, and I'm going to see what Jerry Sidham has to offer the Patriots, and I, I completely understand them doing so. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that that's sort of the play. And look, again, if this doesn't work out, and with their schedule next year, it might not. I mean, depending on how much of a schedule, if we get the full 16 or 12 or whatever, they've got a first-place schedule. They've got the NFC West on their schedule this year. Um, so maybe the you know NFC West part of that goes away. Maybe that's how the league prepares for a potential abbreviated season by sort of front loading those like you know non conference games. But look, we were talking about the Dolphins and what they've done. The Bills have gotten better. The Jets have had a pretty good draft. Like that first place schedule, you're getting Kansas City and Baltimore and Houston. Like, this could be a 500 team. And then who knows? We're talking about already. You've seen the takes on the timeline with. You know, Justin, I mean, Trevor Lawrence, of course, and Justin Fields, and Trey Lance. Like, this could be a situation where if it doesn't work and Stidham isn't the guy, well, maybe they'll be able to address quarterback next year if they're picking, say, sometime earlier in the first round than they're used to. All right, so Gronk's joined Brady in Tampa Bay now. It's really Tampa Bay. Uh, do you think, I mean, I thought that I, Tristan Wirfs at, four, at 13 was a steal. I really think they're convinced Donovan Smith, who did improve last year with Arian's system and Harold Goodwin being his O-line coach. I thought he improved as a left tackle. So now they go out and they get their true right tackle in Werfs. The bookends are, are good for Brady. The interior is not that bad. Ali Marpet's one of the best interior offensive guards in the league. Ryan Jensen's not a bad center. They're hoping Andrew Kapla pans out. Uh, I mean, it, it could definitely be worse. And now you have Gronk. 
O.J. Howard for the time being, Cameron Bray. They drafted Tyler Johnson, who I thought was an odd pick fit for them. But still, you have Godwin, you have him, you have Evans, you have Miller last year, who was a speed option that they drafted late, that they're hoping for big things this year. I, I don't know. I look at this team, and especially getting Winfield to be safety, which was their biggest hole besides quarterback going into this offseason. Then they get Winfield. This team looks like it's a it's a definite championship caliber team, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think you just laid it out perfectly. I mean, you look at, obviously, getting worse at 13 is, is just perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Like you said, Smith looks to be the left tackle in this system. Now you add a guy that you can plug and play at right tackle. Like coming from an Iowa system, it's not the situation like with Beckton or with Jones where, you know, he's not taking traditional pass sets and things like that. You know, he checks that box. You know, so the offensive line seems to be set. You know, I, I think I'm a bit higher on Johnson than you are, but, you know, he won't have to be a featured guy now. You mm-hmm. know, he could be sort of a wide receiver four that you could sort of use in, you know, some situations. And uh, his route running, I think, is something that Brady will appreciate. You look at the defense, which was getting better down the stretch last year. You know, if you look at, say, DVOA at the end of the season, last five games of the season, they were a top five defense. You know, and now, like we talked about last time, you know, you're not going to have a quarterback that's throwing 30 interceptions. You're not going to have a quarterback that's making your defense have to defend short fields two or three times a game. And then you add in Rob Gronkowski, who, you know, maybe with the layoff, the rest, the body's in a better place. He's in a better place emotionally. You know, he can handle the full 16-game slate. You know, I don't know if you're going to get the Gronk of, say, you know, these earlier years, but if you could get somebody that Tom Brady trusts on 37 to put a seam route in into his chest or or that crossing route that he loves to throw off play action, that's going to be a huge boost for your entire offense. It's going to, you know, force defenses to make a lot of difficult calls because, again, put yourself, I always love to put myself in the mind of a defensive coordinator. How are you going to defend these guys? I mean, if you were going to run a base cover two look middle of the field open all the time, you're just letting Gronk have wide open real estate to attack. If you're going to drop down and play safety in the box, do some more single high stuff, okay, well, you've got Mike Evans on the outside. You've got Chris Godwin on the outside. You've got some other guys with speed on the outside. And that free safety in the middle field is not going to be able to get there and help out. And Brady, whatever you want to say about the arm velocity-wise, he can throw the deep ball well with touch and timing and drop it in the bucket, especially when he gets single high coverage because one of the things that he does so well, and I'd tell everybody to go back and watch you know, the 2018-19 season, you know, watch him looking off safeties. Watch him looking off free safety in the middle of the field. Go back and watch that Sunday nighter when Kansas City came in and, you know, the Patriots and the Chiefs had that game that went into the closing seconds and the Patriots won on a field goal when they scored, I think, the combined 40 points in the final, like, eight minutes of that game. Watch the big throw that Brady had to Gronk to set up that field goal where he's looking the safety off in the middle of the field. And it's not the boundary vertical route where the safety's not going to get there anywhere. It's a seam fade to the tight end out of the slot. I mean, there is a chance you can make a play on that ball, but Brady's so good at looking defenders off. And so, yeah, I think that this offense is built to compete. This roster is built to compete, and he's in a very good position to be successful. His arm is not dead. I went back and watched weeks one through three when Josh Gordon played his most snaps and they had Antonio Brown for week three, and he was hitting those uh, 20-plus yard passes with 
great accuracy. He was, I think, tops in the league, honestly. So I'm not worried about his arm like other people are when they look at his age. His arm's fine, and Evans is a good deep ball threat, more than people would assume, given his frame. Godwin, I felt, I mean, he obviously is primarily your slot. You can kick him out and stuff. But that's the only reason why I had an issue with Tyler Johnson. I love Tyler Johnson. I just thought he's a pure primary slot guy, too, that you want to keep in there. But, I mean, it's Tom Brady. Uh, they're going to do different types of formations, especially with Gronk being slimmer. You can even line him up at X. So it, they're yeah. just going to throw a ton of mismatches at you anyways. And Tom Brady being the physician he is, is just going to pick you apart. I don't know. You and I seem way higher on Tampa than most people are because people are looking at Tom Brady's age really and getting stuck on that. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's a mistake because, again, what do we know from Tom Brady from his entire body of work in his life? Like, he, you don't have that your own peril. Mm-hmm. And now he's got a situation where people are saying he can't run that offense. He's thinking in his mind, look, Bill Belichick gave up on me. Like, yeah, I, I think we're going to see perhaps the best of Tom Brady in the year ahead. No, oh, I completely agree, especially in Arian system. Uh, I would be shocked if he didn't have one of his better years of his entire career. Uh, bold statement to say, but I, I truly believe that, especially given the weapons and that friendly system that Arians runs. Uh, it's going to be fun to watch. I, I, as a football fan, I'm excited to see Tom Brady paired with, not even just Arians, Tom Moore. If anybody knows yeah. to shut up and let the quarterback make the decisions... It's Tom Moore, so I, I really you could not draw up a better ending to Tom Brady's career if he couldn't be with the Patriots than you could with the Buccaneers. But I think that's exactly right. Let's go. So, do you have any early candidates for offensive rookie of the year and defensive rookie of the year off the top of your head? Let's just we're gonna hypothetically say we're gonna have a season. So, any any candidates? Yeah, I mean, look, I think Lamb is certainly somebody. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's gonna be in a very good situation. I think you look at, you know, Joe Burrow is going to have some weapons around him. And we know that awards tend to be quarterback-centric. And mm-hmm. so if he has a good enough year, he's certainly going to get votes. I think when you look on the defensive side of the ball, you know, a player that I think is obviously going to get some attention would be Chase Young because of what he can do as a pass rusher. Uh, we've seen some edge rushers have that opportunity. But I think a dark horse might be Patrick Queen in Baltimore. Uh, I know that there's an argument to be made about sort of the expenditure of draft capital on positions like linebacker and running back in the sense that, look, you can probably get linebackers later in the draft that can be plug and play. You can get running backs certainly later in the draft that can be plug and play. And so you look at the expenditure of early picks on Patrick Queen, Malik Harrison, J.K. Dobbins, you know, for what Baltimore is doing, for what we see in today's NFL, maybe those picks don't make sense from that sort of draft capital expenditure perspective. But when I'm looking at a potential, like, you know, middle and will linebacker tandem of Harrison and Queen, like, I think that's pretty good as far as a roster construction position goes. I I really like Patrick Queen. Uh, I think he's a great fit for what they're doing. So, yeah, I think Queen, somebody is in sort of a dark horse for a defensive player rookie of the year. So, I mean, people, just because you mentioned it, people have – Big comments about the Ravens draft in a negative sense, and I disagree with that because their championship window is cracked open a little bit, and you also have the Patriots maybe not being as strong as they are before. So you're looking at the Chiefs, the Titans, uh, Colts, and maybe Texans as competition in the AFC, maybe even the Steelers. I, I don't even get into that, but 
J.K. Dobbins is immediate impact that they need in the run games and complement Ingram. Uh, like you said, Patrick Queen helps that defense out immediately. That did actually lose C.J. Mosey last year, and his his impact was definitely felt, in my opinion. Yeah, it's hard to not like what the Ravens did in the draft, but I'll give you one for defense rookie of the year. I'm going to say Chase on if, if Jaguars work out of the trade to get Yannick out of there. Um, I think yeah. Josh Allen takes a huge step this year, and Chase on benefits off of it. I kind of I I mean with all the moves made on the defensive line I, I I like it a pairing of Allen and Chase on on rookie contracts, uh, bravo! Especially since you're gonna have to yeah. lose Yannick eventually at some point. This has to come to an end. But I was going to say offensive rookie of the year. It was either gonna be Clyde Edwards Hilaire, J.K. Dobbins, or Burrow. So we're pretty much on the same yeah. page for that as well. Yeah. But Mark, great talking to you again. I'll have to have you on the show more. Love. Love, love the insight that, of course, especially from things I was even thinking of about the Packers situation. That was incredible insight. Uh, Eagle situation as well. And, and all you always hit on the Patriots and are right about them. So I'm going to start listening to you more about those opinions as well. Thanks again for joining the show, Mark. Oh, Connor, thanks so much for having me, man. Always a blast. Happy to come back anytime. Hello, my fellow sports fanatics. If you're like me and love talking about sports, I have the perfect app for you. It's called U-Stadium, a social media app dedicated to sports which allows you to talk about each league with fellow fans, get instant breaking news notifications straight to your phone, and debate the sports we all love. Download the app with either Apple App Store or Google Play Store and join discussions about your favorite team or the rest of the leagues. U-Stadium has contests and point systems to win real prizes like an NFL jersey of your choice. You can find U-Stadium on Twitter and Instagram at U-Stadium, U-S-T-A-D-I-U-M, for more information. Log on to U-Stadium today and join me as we talk about sports. All right, joining me now is NFL insider Adam Kaplan. Adam, thanks for hopping on the show, man. You got it, my friend. Hope you're doing well, and... uh... Glad that the draft is behind us. We can, we start to look at what happened, why it happened, and look forward to what may happen when uh, camps open, whenever that may happen over the next months and weeks. Right, this pandemic is crazy. I hope you are staying safe as well. But I listened to Inside the Birds, your podcast this morning, and because I had to hear your reaction on the Eagles' take on Jalen Hurts, that still blows <laughs> all our minds. But it's tough for me to come to grasp with as a football fan because you're basically telling Carson Wentz how you feel about his durability in using this type of premium pick in an insurance policy. And really, the best case scenario is you're, you really hope your 2020 second round pick doesn't have to play, on, doesn't even have to go into the field at any time because you want Wentz to be healthy. That's the best case scenario for the Eagles. How. I can rationalize it to an extent because I know how the Eagles have really considered the backup quarterback to be a premium spot in the team, dating back to when they had Jeff Garcia when McNabb was injured. They still signed Mike Vick when they drafted Kevin Cobb in the second round. This team has always really been very invested in the backup quarterback position, but to the point of using a premium draft pick on a position you don't hope ever has to touch the field, it's a tough sell, my friend. Um, are you from the Philadelphia area? Because you, you certainly know their history. I, Where are you from? I'm from Coatesville. So, yes, I am from the Philadelphia area. Oh, so you're from the area. Okay. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I grew up here in uh, the Philadelphia area. I'm not a fan. I cover 32 teams. But, you know, I, obviously I know the Eagles fairly well. 
this one was shocking. Uh, I, I this is my twenty first draft. I'm never surprised. Okay, I'm never shocked by anything. I'm surprised occasionally. Mm-hmm. I was very surprised when the Broncos took Tim Tebow. That 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 I didn't really quite understand it then. And <laughs> quite frankly, ten years later, I still never understand it. But um, when when you look at it. You could understand from an attribute standpoint that Jalen Hurts is really intriguing. Now, what I said on uh, our show, Inside the Birds, myself and Jeff Mosher, my broadcast partner, is that just to getting opinions from people, uh, generally third or fourth round grades. Now, what I do know in the draft is you could take one player and you could get 32 different opinions. That's just the way teams see players, and that's fine. But you just outline it very well. When you, take, when you have Carson Wentz, who you extended a year ago, He's your franchise quarterback, and, and the Eagles have made that very clear he is. So, so then, you know, how do you rationalize taking a quarterback in the second round? You, the way it was in the National Football League, this, this is the way general managers have, have taught me the, the, the value of, of draft picks. First and second round picks must be started by the end of their, their rookie contracts. There's no debate about it. That's what they are. If they're not, you miss them a pick. Now, there is an asterisk. If he's a specialty player, he could be a returner, a running back, uh, you know, a slash receiver who's really explosive to playmaker, you can make a case to take that guy in the second round. I, I would buy that. Well, the Eagles made it clear that Jalen Hurts' first, Connor, is a quarterback. Okay. But what type of quarterback is he? He's athletic. Mm-hmm. You can use him on the move. Uh, as I, I, you know, I put on Twitter five minutes after the pick was made because I was so shocked I had to clear my head. <laughs> I said, I, I said, folks, I, haven't, I don't know. I haven't talked to the Eagles about this. I don't know where this is coming from. But my first reaction would be a Taysom Hill type of voice, a hybrid role, a running back, a quarterback, a wide receiver, a slot receiver. Uh, um, as one team told me, they saw him as an F player, an F position player, which is a slot, though not quite lined up where the other receivers line up. Maybe you might have him in the backfield. Uh, so to, he could be a hybrid type player. That's fine. But in the end, they say he's going to be a quarterback. That's fine. I get it. But the question is, should it be taken in the second round? Could have they gotten the third? I don't. I can't answer that because remember the Eagles were picking at the bottom of the second, and bottom of the third. There's they wanted this player. This is my understanding of this player. The reason why they were going to take him in the second round is they were not going to let him get off the board by the third round until they picked. They don't. Want, they didn't want to regret it. My friend John Clark from NBC Sports Philly interviewed Ari Roseman, the Eagles GM, and he brought up. I guess how he brought up, as John told me through text, uh, to the interview uh, that he did. Uh, about um, it, um, Russell Wilson and how they just they they didn't trade up to get him, and I guess I'm I'm sure that uh, everyone from the owner to Howie and to the coaches and uh, Andy Reid and Joe Banner that was Joe Banner who was the president of the Eagles was, that was his last year. Everyone everyone wanted that player. They didn't get him because they thought they could he dropped to him. Now the Eagles are clearly not thinking Jalen Hurts will be Russell Wilson because Russell Wilson was going to be drafted for them as their starter. That that's what I'm told they thought. Jalen Hurts is not looked at upon as a starter. So it's still very, very curious. And what I've told fans is on our show, uh, Inside the Birds, which you can find on any platform, just let it play out. I, I get there was some hate there. Don't, don't hate on the player. Just let it play out. I get the reaction. Look, when reporters around the country and teams are, are saying, wow, we didn't see that coming, that was, that was crazy. What can you do? You just have to let it play out. And, and trust, by the way, when it comes to play call, one thing before we move on. When it comes about play calling, I, there are only like five coaches that I really trust in the National Football League. Doug Peterson is one of them. So if, if, if there's anyone who knows how to use this player, it would be he. 
That that is true. That's that's the the one of the reason why I'm looking like all right, Doug Peterson's work because I like Jalen Hurts. He was fun to watch as a prospect. I thought he grew into a way better natural thrower under Nick Licinari's, uh Oklahoma's offense. But I questioned his fit in the West Coast offense because I thought he'd be more a play action type guy in the NFL, like maybe go to the Titans and sit behind Tannehill for a little bit and then go into Arthur Smith's system. So I did question what he's going to be looking like in in the West Coast offense because of how long he really would hold on to the ball at Oklahoma. But I do trust Doug Peterson's quarterback evaluation. I I know a lot of people talk highly of Press Taylor and how he came out two years ago and said something about the two-quarterback type system. So I know that's what everybody's falling in love with, these quotes now with uh, taking Jalen Hurts. But, I mean, yeah, I to be honest, I'm excited to see how they use him in some type of Taysom Hill capacity. I know he's not the athlete of Taysom Hill, like you alluded to in the podcast. But, I mean, you have to have some kind of plays in mind if you're going to go ahead and take him in the second. It's just, it's a tough sell when you're trying to build around Carson Wentz and you had the wide receiver production you had last year. I understand taking, taking Jalen Rieger in the first. I, I love that pick. But Denzel Mims was there. I I, I would assume the faith in uh, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside really makes you think that they were okay with passing on Mims. Am I off there? Um, they like Mims, but I don't think they want to take receivers in the first two rounds. I put on Twitter jokingly that it would be really cool uh, if they, if he had been there that they would have taken KG Hamler just for his speed. Mm-hmm. But you know they they went they made the decision. What if, if you and I, Miles, were running the team? I would have, my vote would have been to draft a corner in the second round mm-hmm. uh, and and get that outside corner because Avanti Maddox they love him, but there are serious questions whether he could be the long term answer outside. City Jones, unfortunately, has not gotten the job done. He'll get one more chance, though. This will be it. Um, but when you look at their quarterback position, it's just not good enough. Mm-hmm. It, Slay's a stud. I mean, he, he's he's upgraded that position. One of the sides. But then on the other side, it's been a revolving door, and they need to stop having that revolving door. And that, that to me, is this team is going to be very good. Barring inch now, just on paper, this team is going to be faster. It's going to be more explosive on both sides of the football. They had a good finish on defense. They've done that. And we have to see how these players perform. But on paper, this team is going to be better. How much better remains to be seen. This was a playoff team last year, despite all the injuries. This team has a chance to go really, really far because this is this team is better than last year on paper. It's just about having on off season, getting these guys on the field, seeing what they can do, and then staying healthy, which is a big thing. Right. So let's, let's move on to the Packers because – I don't want to say they surprised people because they, the interest in Jordan Love was always there throughout the draft process. I actually saw you put out a tweet saying the Eagles were actually looking at him as well. So you you know teams were yep. really in on him. Yep. The Saints were in on him, but they didn't. They ended up passing. The Packers, to me, I mean, you're one game out of the Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers, you, you, know, you know well, covering the National Football League, is one of the most arrogant quarterbacks to ever play the game, but very talented at that. How does this sit right in the locker room saying we were one game out of the Super Bowl, but we're going to go ahead and pretty much jumpstart the future right now and draft a quarterback in the first round? Well, this is different. Okay, This is this is similar to Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers in 2005. Brett was, what, 36 or 37 mm-hmm. uh, that year, and it was definitely surprising. Uh, they, they took Favre 25th overall. Uh, that, that, I mean, excuse me, Aaron Rodgers 25th overall, that, that, that surprised me. I, I, I remember thinking they were, I remember thinking Alex Smith would not go at number one for that draft, and I turned out to be wrong, like just about everyone else. Um, but you know, Aaron turns thirty-seven in, in, in December. You never want to wait till it's too late. He's had a bunch of broken collarbones and some other injuries. 
reasonably healthy in his career, but you, you just have to be careful. Brett, what Brett Favre did and Tom Brady did playing to the late 30s is, is sort of an anomaly. Very few players perform at that level. Kurt Warner was able to, Rich Gannon. We're talking to Rich Gannon about it. Had, Rich told me had he not suffered the neck injury, he would have still played until his, maybe until his early 40s. But you know, nevertheless, it doesn't happen very much. And it, it's not, look, what, what the Packers did, although it's surprising, you could, you could bet, here's what I do know, Aaron Rodgers will be the starter for the first two years of Love's contract. Mm-hmm. After that, the, the, not, I mean, he'll still be on a contract, Love, but the hope is, because he's a project, let, let, let's, let's, let's not put him in the Mahomes category, though he's very athletic, but I know some people want to talk about it. He's got some of the traits, but Mahomes is way more gifted. It's just that with Love, he has so, much to go, so long to go with his mechanics. It's a two-year fix for him, and then you'll see. Now, he's not going to sit three years. Aaron Rodgers sat three years. And I think you just have to see. I think you have to be patient if you're a Packer fan. The thing that I do not get is why the hell do they not trust the receiver position? Oh. It, it's really, I mean, it's, just, it's ridiculous. Devontae Adams is a tremendous football player. Not fast. Marquez Valdez-Gatling got a chance to be a starter last season. It didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Devin Funches can't run. St. Brown, number 19, he got hurt last season. And... You know, Lazard's a nice, nice story, man. Um, you know, there's a team that actually wanted to sign him off the Jaguars practice squad a couple of years ago to make him a tight end. And i got to give the Packers credit. They turned him into a receiver, and he's done a really good job. But they need explosiveness opposite Adams, and that was the one thing that Brian Gunkust, who's a really, by the way, he's a really good GM, he just did not get, it's the one area where that thought they really failed is they did not get speed opposite Adams. I don't, yeah, I don't think they did enough this offseason to put more weapons around Rodgers. Too, so I think that's what's part of the outrage is of them doing this now. Because I mean, you could argue that they could have waited a year. I mean, you're right. You, I understand your point of view, and you're absolutely right in it. You need to think about the future, and they did what they felt is best for the organization. And just like the Eagles, the Eagles felt like this is the best for the organization. So it's, I understand it from their standpoint. For a reason, though, <laughs> for reasons kind of we can't. I, I still with 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 um, hurts. It's so unorthodox what they did because Car- Carson Wentz is their guy. There's no debate. There's no competition. There's no okay. Uh, they're not. They're not. They're not. Uh, people are saying this. Well, they clearly don't trust Wentz. I wouldn't go that far. With with Rogers, it's clearly his age, and you want to. You just want to get love in the pipeline. With Hurts, they saw an opportunity. He's going to have a multifaceted role. Um, and then you know, in three years, we'll see where Hurts is. But man, it, it's uh, look. It was an interesting weekend with these quarterbacks. I mean, you know, let, let's be honest. No one saw really either coming. If we're being honest here, mm-hmm. um, I could have seen them taking the Packers taking the quarterback in the second round. Uh, first round, I get it though, because again, uh, Rogers is going to be the man for at least two years, and then I think we'll see what happens. Well, I think yeah, I think it's two years is the is the window right there, especially with the quarterback contracts, how they are, and having to decide what you're going to do with the fifth option and the extensions and all that stuff. Uh, it has to be a two year window, you would think, with Rogers. And they really just put the timestamp on that, so it's 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 interesting for sure. Uh, but CD Lamb's draft dropped. Nobody saw that happening at all. I I think we're still shocked to this day that he went 17 to the Cowboys. The talks of him were going to be like the first wide receiver off the board, and he ended up being the third. It, it, I didn't expect him to fall all the way to 17. Do you know any type of thinking behind that? Like, what was the reasoning? Well, I, I'm going to bring inside a conversation. I have more than a conversation. I'm, I'm probably a half a dozen of them. From agents who had receivers and personnel people who wanted to know what I thought where the receivers could go, probably more than half a dozen conversations. But anyway, 
sum it up, I could not in any way, shape, or form put CD Lamb with a team. I, I put out that um, that Ruggs is probably going to the Raiders. That turned out to be correct. Uh, I didn't know where Judy was going to go. Uh, I, you know, I knew the Broncos were going to take a receiver. It's just a matter of who they would get, and they got Jerry Judy. R- r- nice little value there. But with Lamb, I mean, I was I was stunned that he. I mean, look, it's seventeen is not like. I mean, I thought he'd go somewhere between eleven and fifteen. He dropped a little bit, but you know, the Cowboys had an excellent draft. I mean, they, it's just had so much good happen to them. We talked about Lamb falling to him at seventeen. That was not what they were looking to do at all. They were probably going to go with the corner, but you know, Lamb dropped. He was a great value, so they took him. Um, Gallimore, uh, kid who could have went in the second round, D tackle went in the third. Bradley and I uh, went in the fifth. He, uh, some teams had a third round grade on him. He ran a slow forty time. Trayvon Diggs, uh, he went. He, I had him going late first round. He went in the second. They just they had a great draft. Things happened. It fell to him. They have really helped their football team through this draft. There's no question about it. Oh yeah, they did a great job. I like. The Diggs and Robinson add into the uh, secondary. Uh, like you said, the defensive line additions are great, especially given the fact that they pretty much signed a bunch of veterans to that defensive line. Now they brought in the influx of youth that they need. Uh, and obviously, C.D. Lamb and a Mike McCarthy-type offense, because we all know how he liked to load it up at wide receiver in Green Bay. It's hard to not like what Dallas did. They really helped their team out the most in this draft. So would... Obviously, we you you think highly of their drafts. So you think they have one of the best drafts. What other teams, in your opinion, had some really great drafts? Yeah. You know, so for talking to t- other teams, um, the Cowboys. By the way, just think of Lamb as the other reason why why they really had to take him. They had no depth at receiver. They didn't have a three, four, or five receiver. Uh, they'll, they'll work Gallup and Amari Cooper and Lamb. They'll just rotate those guys. Uh, so that works out for them. So I put Dallas right up there, top three. Um, Everyone I spoke with loved Cleveland's draft. Andrew Berry, the former Eagles executive, in his first draft, did a fantastic job. A really good combination of, of analytics and drafting for value, need, and understanding uh, football. Just did a good job. I, 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 you never want to say perfect, but he did a, his first draft is very good. Joe Douglas, the GM of the mm-hmm. Jets, did an excellent job uh, of drafting for value and fit and need. Uh, waited on Denzel Mims. I, I, they did a good job there. James Morgan won the top sleeper quarterback for the draft. They, not that he's going to win the number two job this year, but they, they, I mean, they got a, an upside quarterback in, in round four. Uh, Michael Pirine, um, he's going to compete for the number two job, a running back in the fourth round. Uh, Bryce Hall, man, did he drop in mm-hmm. corner? I had him going in the third. Now, look, some teams told me they had a three or four on him. He dropped to the fifth. He's long. He could play. I, I don't get it, but look, that's a great value for him. Uh, Ashton Davis, third round, real super athletic kid at safety. Uh, needs to needs to be a little bit more instinctive, but he'll be he'll get taught. They're really good at safety anyway with Adams and May, mm-hmm. uh, so they're good there. They, they need they they have some other things they got to get done, but you can't solve every issue one off season. I thought Joe Douglas also did a good job in his first time as a uh, a GM in terms of drafting. I remember he came in, in the dra- after the draft last year. He had a good free agency and a, and a very good draft. Um, th- those would be the teams. I thought the Niners did a nice job. Uh, they got Trent Williams. That counts. So they had a good draft capital, so that they got a left tackle at a very good value. Brandon Ayuk, one of my favorite receivers for the draft. They got him late one. That's where he's supposed to go. Uh, Kinlaw, uh, they got him. He, he'll have a chance to start right away. But they did really well there. So yeah, look, overall, um, those would be the teams that uh, people in the league really liked. I I love what the Jets did. Honestly, uh, Mackay Becton, I've 
he has the highest ceiling of all, all the offensive tackles in the draft if he hits it. And that's exactly keep what Darnold... Keep his weight down. Right. I mean, that's exactly what Darnold needed, though, is that type of caliber left tackle. I, I love their yeah, draft. You know, he, he, is at, he just turned... Uh, yeah, he just turned 21. Wow, he's a young kid. Right. Yeah, they, they did a good job. Uh, Jet fans, I know, have a lot of following me on Twitter. Um, you should be really happy because Joe Douglas is going to do a really good job as a general manager. Um, he's just going to build it a certain way. He's going to—he's he's very methodical. So, the fans have to be patient, but he's gotten off to a good start. All right, Adam, I greatly appreciate you coming on the show. Inside the Birds is very insightful. I love it. You guys do a really great job, especially during this pandemic, to give us all content that we can listen to. I really agree having you on, man. Great insight on everything. I appreciate it big time. All right, man. Sounds good, and uh, good luck to you. Thank you. What's going on, everybody? Uh, This is two-time Super Bowl champion Justin Tuck. I just want to thank you guys for tuning in to Just Another Football Podcast. Do me a favor. Please leave a five-star rating and subscribe. Peace.